0: Inflation is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the senate uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago.
1: Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you
0: plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? <laughs> Are you the worst president that ever existed in the history of the nation? Why aren't you Donald Trump?
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. He was much better. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I
0: am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, on in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. That sounds nice. Uh, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, And all of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow just trying to keep up with it all. Glad you could join us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. As we go to air, the Senate is debating the critical freedom to vote and John Lewis Voting Rights Act to protect against voter suppression and election subversion. I should say they are still debating that. I think they were during yesterday's broadcast as well, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes, way. they
3: were and they are.
0: Uh, of course, they will fail to pass either of those bills with a maj- with their majority of the vote in the Senate because that's how the Senate rolls or, uh, more accurately, how the Senate does not work any longer. And... Then the Senate will, uh, when, once that fails, they will move to change the rules of the filibuster when it comes to legislation that protects American democracy. They will uh, try to change the rules to require the old-fashioned talking filibuster that everyone remembers from Jimmy Stewart in 1939's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. Uh, That is essentially the way the filibuster was done up until about 1970 in the U.S. Senate. Now, any senator can simply say they are filibustering legislation. Oh, uh, do that uh, Jimmy Stewart thing, Uh, which uh, and that counts apparently as a filibuster.
3: Yeah, they don't even have to say it out loud. They can email it from, (laughs) you know, Bermuda or Cancun if you're Ted Cruz.
0: There you go. And then, of course, it would require 60 votes to overcome uh, the filibuster. And since there are now zero Republicans in the U.S. Senate who support protecting voting rights and American democracy, uh, it will take the full 50 vote majority of Senate Democrats to change the filibuster rule. And as at least as we go to air, Democrats Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are still joining Republicans To block filibuster reform and with it, voting rights and democracy protection that uh, Manchin and cinema claim to support, but in fact are preventing from moving forward. So long as they don't actually have to, you know, do anything to get it done, they can claim they support it. That is still where we are today. Also, as we go to air, as you heard at the top of the show, President Biden uh, was holding a press conference to mark his first year in office we will turn to media analyst Eric Bullard momentarily to mark and discuss the media's first year with Joe Biden in office as the first term president hits some rocky waters indeed even while having some extraordinary successes that seem for some reason to get much less coverage. I don't know why. <laughs> and as I suspect Eric uh, will note, we'll also compare the coverage that Biden has enjoyed in his first year versus that other guy in his first year. Speaking of that other guy, I was going to give you one important piece of Trump accountability news before we get to Bullert. But now I guess I have to make it two because as the uh, show opening was rolling there, this just in first breaking from CNN. And I'm reading this cold to you. Headline Supreme Court clears the way for U.S. House to get Trump White House documents. Supreme Court cleared the way on Wednesday for the release of presidential records from the Trump White House to a congressional committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. The court's, uh, the court's order means that more than 700 documents that could shed light on the events leading up to the insurrection, when hundreds of rioters converged on the Capitol attempting to stop certification of the 2020 presidential election results. Yes, Donald Trump's effort to steal the 2020 election, CNN, those documents will now be transferred to Congress. This literally just in. The move effectively moots former President Trump's pending appeal in the case that's centered on keeping those documents secret. So this is the cache of documents From the White House, from what was uh, from what happened uh, the day of the insurrection, the days leading up to it, the days after that have now been archived uh, with the National Archives. Donald Trump had tried to claim uh, executive privilege to block those documents. But as it turns out, he's no longer the president. So he no longer has executive privilege. That's left up to the actual executive, President uh, Joe Biden, uh, who has cleared the release of these documents. Donald Trump then sued. He was told in court that he was a loser. As I recall, the uh, the judge had said uh, we don't have uh, kings. Presidents are not kings. Correct. And you are not president. I think that's the exact quote. Uh, anyway, he lost that case. He challenged it. He's uh, up up the chain. The appeals court, he also lost. He challenged it to the Supremes. And apparently the Supremes have now said they want nothing to do with it. So that means those documents could be uh, released at any moment. Fun. We will look forward to those. They'll be released at least to the uh, U.S. House Select Committee investigating January 6th. I'm sure they will make good use of them. Uh, So that is our second piece of Trump accountability uh, in today. The first one that I had hoped to get to, I will still get to, because after we got off air yesterday, New York Attorney General Letitia James filed a motion in court in response to Donald and Ivanka and Don Jr.'s attempt to quash a subpoena for each of them From the AG's office in New York and her civil investigation into the uh, Trump into Trump, into the uh, Trump family and the Trump organization's efforts to lie about the value of their properties, depending on who they were talking to, whether it was banks or insurance companies or the IRS, etc. That, as it turns out, would amount to fraud. And in her filing late on Tuesday night, the New York Attorney General Letitia James, for the first time, described it as such. The New York Attorney General, according to AP, says her investigators have uncovered evidence that former Donald Trump's company used, quote, fraudulent or misleading valuations of its golf club, skyscrapers, other properties to get loans and tax benefits. In the court filing late Tuesday, lawyers for James told a judge they have not yet decided whether to bring a lawsuit in connection with the allegations, but that investigators should be allowed to question Trump and his two eldest children under oath as part of the civil probe. The civil probe that could result in a lawsuit. Now, the Manhattan District Attorney, meanwhile, as opposed to the New York Attorney General, uh, is investigating uh, some of the very same issues in a criminal investigation, which the state AG's office is also taking part in. So it all kind of works together here. If charges are brought against the, uh, against the Trumps or, and or the Trump organization in the civil case, they would face a lawsuit and potentially hefty fines and perhaps even disillusion of their business. Uh, just as the New York Attorney General uh, put an end to, <clears throat> let's see, both the um, uh, the Trump University, the fraudulent Trump University. <laughs> Correct. And the fraudulent Trump Foundation, the Charity Foundation. Yeah, the
3: one where he cheated all those people.
0: Correct. Uh, the one where he cheated all those people?
3: <laughs> I know, it's so hard Which to Which one?
0: <laughs> Take your pick. So if charges are brought in the criminal probe, that the Manhattan District Attorney is doing along with the New York AG, well, then they could all face jail time, not just fines. The reference to fraud in the filing on Tuesday was in the civil case. Okay, got all of that?
3: Yes, the The Manhattan <clears throat> District Attorney is the criminal case that could lead to jail time. The State Attorney General's case is a civil case that would lead to fines, potentially.
0: Right and the state attorney general is also working with the Manhattan district attorney uh, Mr. district attorney with uh, on that criminal probe as well. So, all right, the Trump, of course, uh, I need to say, the uh, Trump organization, you'll be shocked to learn, they issued a statement today calling the investigation of the New York Attorney General quote baseless and politically motivated because of course they did, but the evidence offered by James's office in the filing Which is meant to uh, force the subpoena, uh, force the uh, uh, deposition of Trump and his kids. The evidence suggests otherwise. The court documents contain the attorney general's most detailed accounting yet of the long running probe into allegations that Trump's company exaggerated the value of its holdings to impress lenders or misstated what land was worth to slash its tax burden. By way of just a few examples from the filing, uh, when giving estimates of Trump's wealth, the company misreported the size of his Manhattan penthouse, saying it was nearly three times its actual size. Now, that may seem like a small matter, but it actually isn't. It resulted in a difference of value being reported to banks where, you know, Trump was seeking loans of about 200 million dollars. According to James's office, citing deposition testimony from Trump's longtime financial chief, uh, financial chief officer, Alan Weisselberg, who himself was charged last year with fraud in that parallel criminal investigation in Manhattan. Investigators, the court papers say, have developed significant additional evidence indicating that the Trump organization used fraudulent or misleading asset valuation to obtain a host of economic benefits, including loans, insurance coverage, and tax deductions. Uh, For example, just a few more here. James' office office said evidence shows, uh, among other things, that Trump's company uh, listed his Seven Springs estate north of New York City as being worth $291 million. That, based on the dubious assumption that it could get $161 million dollars, If it built nine luxury homes on the property that were not actually built there, Uh, they also the organization added a, quote, brand premium of 15 to 30 percent to the value of some of their properties because they carried the Trump name. So therefore, they are worth 15 to 30 percent more than anyone else could sell them for with this brand premium. But. The financial statements explicitly say they did not incorporate brand value in listing the values of these properties. He also inflated the value of a New York golf club by millions of dollars. How? Well, he counted fees for memberships that were not sold or never paid. He said in documents that its a stake in an office building, 40 Wall Street, was worth two, uh, five hundred and twenty-five million dollars to six hundred and two million dollars. That's a lot of money. As it turns out, that amount of money, however, was two to three times the estimate for what the office building was actually worked, uh, worth, according to appraisers. From the lender capital one. So he inflated
3: the property values yep. for things when he was applying to banks for loans, saying, Look at all these assets I've got. But then he was undervaluing them for tax purposes when it was time to actually pay tax on those properties.
0: Yeah. Stuff like that. Fraud, as it's called, you know, to keep it short. Fraud. Here's a fun one. Uh, just some of the unlawful hijinks that the kids were wrapped up in with dad. The court filing says Ivanka Trump rented an apartment at Trump Park Avenue with an option to buy it for eight and a half million dollars. But the property was valued at more than 20 million dollars in financial statements for that year and the two following years. Quote, Ivanka Trump rented a penthouse uh, in Trump Park Avenue starting in 2011. Ms. Trump's rental agreement included an option to purchase it for eight and a half million dollars. For the 2011 and 2012 statements of financial condition by uh, the Trump organization, this unit was valued at almost 21 million dollars, approximately two and a half times as much as the option price that it could have sold for had Ivanka decided she wanted to buy it. There was no disclosure of the existence of that option. The filings go on to say for the 2013 Statement of Financial Condition, the unit was valued at $25 million. That is more than three times the option price, again, with no disclosure of the existence of the option. So, yes, these things are known as fraud and uh, they are not partisan witch hunt questions, as Trump's attorneys would have you believe. They are actual Issues of evidence of financial fraud. Uh, One more point from the filing. While this uh, exchange is about uh, subpoenas to uh, Donald and Ivanka and Don Jr., his other son, Eric, already faced the subpoena in the same case. He already tried to quash it and he already lost. This was back in 2020. After which, yeah, he had to sit down for his deposition under oath, as I suspect all of the others are going to have to do. But James's office noted that Eric Trump and the Trump Organization's uh, chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, each invoked the Fifth Amendment more than 500 times during their separate depositions. Each. Correct. Eric did so on October 5, 2020. um According to the documents, quote, Eric Trump then invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination in response to more than 500 questions over six hours. Weiselberg invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination to more than 500 questions over five and a half hours. James's office argues that these instances show that key figures interviewed in her probe would be well aware of potential criminal liability if they are deposed in her case. Weiselberg was already indicted, uh, as previously noted, by the Manhattan District Attorney last July, along with the Trump organization itself. But uh, now, you know, they have every right to uh, invoke the fifth. If they want during these depositions, that's not unlawful. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even necessarily mean they committed a crime. But that's only if you don't listen to Donald Trump himself. As Washington Post's Aaron Blake notes, while pleading the fifth is not an, an admission of guilt, Donald Trump himself has suggested that innocent people do not invoke the protection and called it, quote, Disgraceful when associates of Hillary Clinton invoked it. The mob takes the fifth, Trump said. Remember that? Oh, yeah. If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? He asked. Oh, I don't know, Donald. Maybe ask your son, Eric, who you put in charge of your company while you were grifting the nation as president. Or... Ask your own now indicted chief financial officer Alan Weisselberg. Or here's an idea. Donald, ask yourself, because I suspect you're about to be invoking the Fifth Amendment very soon. Trump added, by the way, in a 2016 debate with uh, Hillary Clinton, quote, when you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the fifth so they're not prosecuted, I think it's disgraceful. Said Donald Trump before his staff took the Fifth Amendment, some what combined more than 1,000 times. So, you think that's disgraceful, do you, Donald? We will see if you feel that way when you are the one facing the questions from Letitia James in the pretty near future, I would imagine. Okay. Any other breaking uh, Trump accountability news since I was uh, doing that story?
3: <laughs> Give it a few minutes, maybe.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we got a lot of show to go here. Anything could happen. All right, from uh, from Biden to Trump, now back to Biden, and yes, probably back to Trump as well. Eric Bollard joins us next for a look at how the press are doing after the first year of President Joe Biden's term as the madness continues on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Well, that's jaunty. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. By the way, that song is Still Life by Carson McCone, a new cut that I only learned about thanks to my guest joining me momentarily, Eric Bollert, and his uh, press run newsletter, which, in addition to incisive media critiques, also includes a fun stuff section each day because we all need a break as he writes usually with a swell new song that Eric has found uh, of late anyway he will be with us here momentarily Uh, today Joe Biden is celebrating if that's the right word for it the end of his first year in office it has been a rough one for sure with a number of huge political victories such as the landmark American Rescue Plan adopted without the vote of a single Republican who was willing to expand the availability of COVID vaccines to every American or put cash money in the pockets of struggling Americans, as the GOP was, by the way, more than willing to do while Donald Trump was in office during the pandemic. Neither were they interested in expanding the child tax credit with monthly payouts in the American Rescue Plan or lower health care premiums for Americans, again, in the middle of a pandemic. Joe Biden nonetheless got that through along with his Democrats. In his first year, Biden also shepherded a landmark bipartisan, long overdue, nearly $1 trillion infrastructure plan. But at the same time, thanks to one intransigent Democratic senator from a red state that voted for Donald Trump in 2020 by some 60 points, he has been unable so far to pass his transformative Build Back Better Act to expand even further health care, child care, elder care, uh, parental leave, education and fight climate change. And if the week continues as expected, Joe Biden will also not be able to move long overdue, absolutely critical voting rights and election protection laws. Thanks to that same intransigent intransigent Democratic senator from West Virginia and another one from Arizona. Moreover, While Joe Biden's effort to tackle the coronavirus saw early success after the passage of the American rescue plan, it faltered once new, deadlier and, well, more transmissible variants were able to multiply, thanks in no small part to those in this country who refused to become vaccinated based on an avalanche of misinformation, largely from the right wing media. At the same time, Joe Biden has had to fight headwinds of perfectly predictable post-pandemic supply chain and inflationary pressures, even as the economy continued to soar for most of the year, resulting in record, record low unemployment. (laughs) Global inflation and supply chain issues, it seems, got plenty of attention from the nation's media, who seemed to blame the new president for both both of these global issues. While an economy that outpaced the rest of the world record low unemployment numbers and all time job creation numbers for a first year president, well, that received much less attention from the media. At the one year mark of his presidency, according to Gallup Today, during his first year in office, an average of nearly 49% of Americans approved of the job President Joe Biden was doing. While a new Gallup poll finds 40% of U.S. adults today approve of the job he is doing, that is his lowest to date. Among post World War II presidents, they note, elected to their first term, only Donald Trump had a lower first-year average rating at just above 38%. And yet, maybe I missed it, but even with his even lower first-year average approval ratings, I don't recall the panic by corporate media at the time to run stories on how Donald Trump's presidency was all but over after his first absolutely disastrous year. It was just par for the course, I guess, and stayed that way with... Approval ratings that were always lower than Joe Biden's from Joe Biden's very first day in office and up until now, joining us now for some thoughts on how the media performed its critical constitutionally protective function during joe biden's first year and for a few thoughts on some of the stories he's been covering in his must read newsletter it's our old friend and longtime media analyst eric bollert publisher of the press run email newsletter which you can and should subscribe to at press dot media oh mr bollert welcome back and since i don't believe we've spoken since last fall happy new year sir
1: hey thanks for having me happy new year to you
0: Eric, are you familiar with the New York Times PitchBot parody account on Twitter? Okay. Let me just for readers who don't, uh, listeners who don't know, let me let me share a few of the uh, a few of these because it, it leads to a question here. So uh, it's a it's a parody account on Twitter, uh, p- as if these are New York Times story pitches. Opinion: I'm not racist. I just don't think it should be easy for black people to vote. Something you might actually read in the New York Times. America's next great restaurants are in the suburbs. Here's why that's bad news for Joe Biden. That's another pitch bot. Uh, Here's one more. The Republican Party has become a white grievance party that seeks to overthrow our democracy in order to increase its ability to grift. But let's not pretend the Democratic Party is perfect either. <laughs> so, uh, Eric, those are some of the just the recent uh, New York Times Pitchbot tweets. But here is an actual New York Times alert that was sent to me on my iPhone late last week. Quote, with Democrats push for far reaching voting rights legislation nearing a dead end, they must decide whether to compromise or keep pressing. Mm. And as I tweeted out, along with uh, a graphic of that alert and a, a, a phrase to the New York Times that I cannot repeat on radio, <laughs> I, I added uh, compromise with who? On what? <laughs> I, I mean, Excellent they, point. Yeah, Republi- <laughs> they're not calling for compromise. Republicans aren't calling for compromise on voting rights. Manchin and cinema aren't asking for compromise. Uh, seriously, I could not tell if it was the satirical New York right. Times pitch bot or the real New York Times.
1: You would think that would be the first question an editor would send back to the reporter. <laughs> what compromise are you talking about? But nobody—it's—it's it's kind of see no here, even no evil, yeah. hear no evil. Uh, Chuck Todd, on uh, meet the press. Uh, I think it was he—he uh, he did this video, and he was asking, well, you know, Biden has really failed to carve out, you know, a coalition, you know, with some moderate Republicans. You know, mm. why can't? You know, he's been in the, you know, Biden was in the Senate for 30 years. He knows how this works. He sold himself, you know, as a as a master communicator, a negotiator behind the scenes. Why can't, you know, I pointed out every single Republican in the House and in the Senate voted against COVID relief. Yeah, that was a that was a bill that had 80, 90 percent uh, public approval that he <laughs> Biden could not get one Republican yeah. to vote for it. And this is the same uh, press corps that looks around and says, jeez, why can't Biden? Well, you know, why can't?" It, and and I also pointed out this is exactly what they did to Obama. Why can't? Why can't Obama figure yeah. out Mitch McConnell? He's an honest, honorable, stand-up guy. Can't they just have? You know, why doesn't he go? Have you know why doesn't he go play golf with John Boehner? John, yes. John Boehner will come around. He's a reason. He's a reasonable well, guy. And, And just real quick, it's clear in both points, the Republican Party just has to obstruct Democrats, and the press blames the Democrat. Donald Trump passed one bill, basically, in four years, which was a tax giveaway to billionaires, Mm -hmm. could not get one Democratic vote. Not one news organization went to sleep, you know, anxious at night because Donald Trump couldn't couldn't get democratic votes. Yeah,
0: not to mention by the way, Chuck Todd is kind of wrong uh twice with that comment because actually Joe Biden did carve out a a, a group of moderate Republicans who joined him on the the record infrastructure, infrastructure bill.
1: Yeah. Couldn't get any in the House, but that's right. That's right. He got some in the Senate. So leave it to Chetown. And he doesn't time. get credit for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So uh, anyway, with, with all of those long uh, sort of preambles, I'm, I'm very interested in your sort of general assessment of how the media has been doing from your, your perch over the first year of uh, Biden's presidency. Can it even be compared uh, favorably or otherwise to how they covered Trump or really any other modern presidency at this point in their first term?
1: Oh yeah, as I said, I think it's very very similar to Obama uh who this is uh, who a president who's considered a success who mm-hmm. basically walked walked to reelection. If you go back and look at his first year, first term, uh all these freakouts, oh his coalition is falling apart. Oh, you know, he mm-hmm. you know, the Tea Party's got really got his number. Uh, lots of doomsday coverage for Obama that turned out to be uh, kind of nonsense. In terms of Biden in the first year, uh, I think it's really interesting. I think the turning point was clearly August uh, in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the press uh, finally had a big story. You know, there, there, there were columns over the summer about how the Beltway Press was so bored with this guy. <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, okay, you know, if you think back to July, uh, yeah. okay, successful COVID, you know, vaccination rate, you know, went from 2% to 60%. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gaining, July, I think we gained 900,000 jobs. The press was so bored with competent governance, mm. uh, and they missed the Trump chaos, and they missed the ratings and the clicks and the nonstop headlines. Uh, and then came Afghanistan, and it, it blew. It changed everything in a few ways. I mean, obviously, it was a big story. I argued for weeks. The press completely kind of lost its mind on the Afghanistan mm-hmm. story. Just absolutely uh, buried Biden. You know, we had a we had a, a CNN. Reporter famously saying out, they will never airlift 50,000 people out of here. Uh, and they turned out they airlifted 125,000 people out of there. Right. But that the press, the press, after Afghanistan was over, the press didn't retreat. The press said, oh, we like this. Yeah. We like this crisis. We mm-hmm. like this chaos we like breaking news so let's go to inflation let's go to the supply chain let's go to cinema and mansion let's go to infrastructure let's go to negotiation let's go to whatever republicans are yelling about today and we'll pretend it's all a crisis yeah and so yes biden has taken a hit yes you know obviously with covid and and the variants but if you look at his polling he's dropped about five or six points in half a year is that a news story yes Do we need stories every single day of the week of the month of the year (laughs) about Joe Biden's polling? Just in my last point real quick, four months ago right now, Trump was at 37 percent. Good luck going back and finding stories, an avalanche of stories a a year ago about whether the Trump presidency was failed. How Mm -hmm. does he how does he reset? This is, you know, all this doomsday coverage. There was an acceptance that Trump was going to poll in the 30s, and that was fine. And the press yep. just went on from there. So that's in terms of how the coverage differs from Biden and Trump. I think that's the key one right there. And,
0: you know, the media, the New York Times, et cetera, I suspect they would simply say, oh, they're just trying to be tough on whoever is in the White House, <laughs> yeah. which is. Well, listen, I mean, to you know, to some extent that makes sense uh it does unless you look at the person who was in the white house before but yeah keep going (laughs) well no exactly if you don't look at who was in there before (laughs) and what that has caused for american democracy itself which is now at threat by a major american political party working to undermine the great american democratic experiment you gotta wonder is oh being tough on everyone is that the right approach uh in 2022
1: yeah, I mean, there are two stories you can write about relentlessly right now: the Republican Party and the threat it faces, uh, and the threat America faces to its attack on free, or fair elections. Mm-hmm. Or you can write about Joe Biden's polling. Right. Uh, one is very easy and very safe, and everyone agrees. And one is tricky and difficult. And it's going to get you in trouble with the right wing and Fox News and the Republican Party. Uh, and, and so, guess which one people are, mm-hmm. are really focusing on. You know, Joe Lockhart was on uh, CNN over the weekend on reliable sources, talking about the Biden coverage, and you know he made a really good point, which was, and and, and if we're talking about who was in the White House before Biden, Biden has gotten you know, Biden has gotten absolutely no credit from the press for returning decency, normalcy, Mm. truth telling uh, to the White House. You know, uh, Trump r- shredded every conceivable cr- protocol. He lied every time he opened his mouth. He, you know, uh, vicious attacks on, on journalists, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Trump, uh, you know, uh, Biden came in and flushed all of that away. And he's gotten absolutely no credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and you know, they've kind of jumped right into, you know, h- here's my point. In... in in terms of trump they miss trump i don't think there's Mm. any question about it they miss the adrenaline they miss the chaos and i don't think the press wants trump to be president again i think they want to keep the playing field level so when trump comes back we can have a close race and that's what they can cover and that's what they want so i kind of feel like they see their job is to keep dinging biden keep him low so trump (laughs) has a shot because it's all about entertainment it's all about the spectacle and, and they want the return of the spectacle.
0: Well, you know, at last week, I, and I, I, I need to give him some credit here, I think. We'll see if you do as well. NPR's Steve Inskeep, who, mm-hmm. frankly, I think he should get a prize for his attempted interview with Donald Trump uh, because yep. it was very illustrative. It ended with uh, the disgraced former president actually hanging up on him, leaving the interview about halfway through. But it demonstrated, I think, several things, Eric. For example, uh, why it is so difficult to interview the guy. Because he well lies all the time, we know that. But unless yeah. you're really prepared, you're just privileging his lies by right. offering a platform to him, which Inskeep did not do. He sort of, you know, prebutted the lies before he uh, before he he aired his his conversation with Trump. He didn't do it live, so you know, in this case they were able to sort of explain what the lies would be, then let Donald Trump talk about it, and then let him walk away in the middle of it. Uh, w- w- you know, I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why it's good to not interview Donald Trump. And I'll give you the other side of that coin in a second. But what, if anything, d- did you learn, or can we learn, the media learn, from that uh, Inskeep episode with Donald Trump on NPR last week?
1: You know, I thought I, I think the best part was it wasn't live. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a live interview. And so I've been complaining about the Trump coverage, but there there are signs of some small improvement. Uh, Trump rallies are no longer carried live. Uh, Trump said he was going to have a press conference on January 6th, which is mind-boggling, mm-hmm. uh, talking about going back to the scene of the crime. He canceled it, reportedly, because he realized he wasn't going to get live pickup on TV on enough of the networks you know the fringe guys were going to cover him mm-hmm. but it sounded like he you know he wasn't going to get the live platform national platform that he wanted the other thing i pointed out last week the day of the day before the inskeep interview trump hasn't hasn't sat down with this with a serious uh, journalist to mm-hmm. give a live interview in a year yeah. which to me is really kind of startling uh you know he gives them to OAN and Fox News and all these crazies uh so he's been out of office a year will not answer questions from any serious reporter uh he did it once with Inskeep and as you say walked away after a few minutes mm-hmm. uh so these these to me are uh good trends you know he has no social uh media presence he's not he got kicked off Facebook Instagram and Twitter he's not doing mainstream interviews the one he did did not do well Uh, I don't quite see how he's going to run for re-election without any of that. Mm -hmm. But back to your inscape question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think I thought the key was it wasn't live. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you don't have to just sit there and listen to the lies. You can, um, you you know, you can, uh, you have more of a, Opportunity to put context in it. Right. He did obviously come very well prepared. He wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't just, hey, you say, uh, you know, the election was stolen, but lots of people don't. <laughs> right. I mean, he was citing lawyers and cases and, and right. things like that. And, and Trump was getting frustrated. In the end, Trump doesn't care. Uh, I mean, he has no shame. Uh, I'm not sure if he hung up early because he was upset or he just got bored. Uh, I mean, you can't really shame the shameless. Well, but he but, was being
0: held accountable. He was he not was. able to ramble he, on he, and yeah,
1: yeah, it, it, in small important ways. Look, if 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 do I wish someone from NPR who in, uh, interviewed Trump uh, had say. Had, had say, why are you a pathological lo- logical liar? What mm. is wrong? <laughs> right. You know, had some, had really laid into him in a factual and accurate and res- in, you know, I uh-huh. guess respectable way. That that to me is where where I want to get on all of this, uh, well, and not re- not treat him as a respected. You know, uh, elder states. right? Uh, but I, I thought it was a good first
0: step. Absolutely, I, you know, and and I tend to um, it's a tough call. I, you know, I tend to simply not cover Trump's lies for the most part because if I did, yeah. I would spend every you know single minute of airtime having to rebut them. Oh, you them really would, because yeah. you're giving them a platform, even when you do that. Uh, right, and most folks in the legit media have largely stopped giving Trump unfettered airtime, though maybe that's because he doesn't want to show up. Uh, because he's a coward, or I think you call him a charlatan uh, in your recent column. Right. Um, But that means that his lies only go out to supporters in general at rallies and in the wingnut media. And that, as uh, TPM's Josh Marshall has been recently arguing, is also a problem, Eric, because Mm -hmm. uh, as Josh wrote today, for example, after learning that Trump actually over the weekend at, at his I guess, a rally in Arizona. He actually apparently told supporters that they should cheat in 2022 and 2024 elections. And yet... Because it wasn't covered, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Josh writes uh, efforts to stop amplifying Trump have largely allowed him to further radicalize without any scrutiny. Well, how the yeah. hell should media deal with that problem, Eric?
1: You know, the rallies I thought were, were was interesting. That you know, this is his first rally of the year, and he's going to do a bunch. It's a midterm year. Here was the, here, this was the problem with the rally coverage, and and I'm glad it wasn't covered live. Alive, and you're right. You can't follow. You know, he he has no public standing. He hasn't. You know, he's a. You know, he hangs out in Mar-a-Lago. He doesn't mm-hmm. have any say in in votes or anything. So why would you, you know, spend your days fact-checking him? And I agree with that. But the rally coverage. This is what was wrong with it. It was just completely whitewashed. And Politico and New York Times, Washington Post, they all did stories about, you know, his strategy and what does this mean and you know you know, who's he going to endorse. It made him seem like a normal candidate. The most important thing he said at that rally, he said the government won't let white white people get vaccinated. <laughs> I mean yeah. how how was that I mean, my I, God. I know I mean, we've all run out of you know adjectives to describe this guy but to me that was just absolutely jaw dropping and so you know i i kind of made fun of cnn the next day you know a year out of office here's how trump's rebranding himself i said he just said he just claimed whites can't get vaccinated but yeah let's do more reporting on his rebranding there has to be you the coverage of trump they're they're still normalizing this guy yeah. you know what what's his fundraising like who's he going to endorse you know what's he saying about Ron DeSantis? is there a few down in florida he's saying the government won't let white people get vaccinated that's your only headline right. that's your only story that's it right that's All, it although There's I, nothing else to cover I,
0: I would add there is the fact that he told his supporters <laughs> to cheat to in cheat. the 2022 and 2024 that's elections close
1: second. that
0: ought to be there second. as well i mean clearly he uh, you know trump has obviously hacked the american press because guess yes. what yes. in a segment on media coverage of Joe Biden, Eric Bullard, we've already spent more time on Donald Trump. I think just to uh... yeah, and
1: and, and 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 it's yeah, and uh, that's totally fair uh, observation, and and I think it's also because you know the the press is kind of framing everything on, on the looming Trump, and yeah. you know even the Biden coverage. Yep. Uh, of, of his administration that's always about, well, Trump's on the rise and Republic you know, and, and Democrats are doomed uh, and all this stuff. And, and you know, I think the Biden stuff is, is really just unfair, and it's just a, a complete runaway narrative uh, at this point. I mean, everyone is just piling on. Mm. Uh, and, you know, just real quick, Washington Post did a big 3,000-word, I counted them, 43-paragraph story, Biden's first year in office, not one reference to the 6.2 million jobs that were created uh, in his first year, which has never happened before in in, in American history. His signature uh, achievement isn't even mentioned in a 3,000-word article, which was complete doomsday analysis. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen by accident. That's not a coincidence. Virtually every Biden year one story uh, fails to mention the 6.2 uh, million jobs, the 3.9% unemployment. Quick point, in February, CBO said it is going to take five years. If everything goes right, it's going to take five years for the United States to get 3.9% unemployment. We're there. We did it in seven months. It's just completely flush down the memory hole. It doesn't happen because there's a story the press wants to tell.
0: And, uh, you know, those numbers, those uh, unemployment, those record low unemployment numbers, they tend to come out on the same day that they also put out inflation numbers. And uh, A, the inflation numbers, they do just a terrible job of reporting. Inflation was 7% in December. Well... No, it wasn't seven percent in December. It was that would seven. be a big story. Yeah, I know, but they do this <laughs> month after month oh, after month. That's absolutely. how they put it out there. Oh my absolutely. God, it was six point two last month. So uh, no, that's the annualized number. It was actually much much lower in uh, in was, in December.
1: It was, it was
0: 0.5 in December. Right, right exactly. But they uh, they don't give you that context. That's what they focus on. And then they you know if they bother to get around to uh, dis, you know to discussing the record low unemployment at all. You know, we're lucky. Now, with these complaints, Eric, are these the same things that we hear whenever there's a Republican in office and it's, you know, the right-wingers who are making these same complaints? Uh, you know, they were complaining all the way through the Trump years. Uh, oh, the, uh, the economy is on rocket fuel. Why isn't the media talking about that?
1: Uh, no, it, it, it's a different response. It's a different response because the, the media fears those right-wing attacks. Uh, and they pay a lot more attention mm. to them, look you know back to your point, and that 's a good one. The press would say well we 're just holding the White House accountable, and you know we 're always tough on whoever's in the white house that That on paper makes sense and look, I think the I think the administration fell down on the on the whole testing this fall, should have had tens of millions in a warehouse somewhere. I get that that was a mistake so no i don 't think most serious people on the left say you know a Democrat can 't be criticized. But we're in such a unique situation because we have two sides. We have a, a you know a, a center left Democrat doing his best, and we have a Republican Party that wants to destroy free and fair elections in America. Yeah. So if you're the press, don't play that down the middle. Mm-hmm. Don't pretend those are those are two. Uh, those are those are similar choices. Mm. Like use your head, understand what the threat we're facing, and don't pretend that Biden's polling numbers are the same as Trump. And actually, Biden's polling numbers are ten times more important than Trump saying white people can't get it vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Like mm-hmm. uh, understand the big picture and understand the threat we're facing.
0: Yeah. And that's something that, you know, that I've been wrestling with because in in, in some degree, these these critiques that we might have that we're talking about here of of the media coverage might be, you know, similar critiques uh, that we would have for the media in the uh, in the Obama era, as you mentioned. You know, their their coverage is very similar to that. And, you know, they're fair enough critiques, but the idea that they do not seem to understand the moment and by the way we haven't exactly. even gotten to you know climate change the other right. oh existential threat that is facing the the the, the planet you know Absolutely. so between that and between american democracy itself now at threat of falling you think you would uh, you, you think the media would go about it differently. I ask myself every day, am I going about this correctly, given the situation that we're in? I do not get the sense that uh, our corporate media is even asking themselves those questions.
1: No, I, and I think when, when Trump was inaugurated, uh, the, the press didn't really change how it, how it covered Trump. It treated him. Um, uh, you know, I've said before, there were some bizarre news cycles under his term. And you would read the coverage, you would think Jeb Bush were president. You would think mm. John McCain was president. You would think this center right, you know, mm. normal traditional, <laughs> not this madman narcissist. Um, so, yeah, the, right. I, I, I think mm. with the Biden era, they just want to play this game. His polling is down. Let's get some, yep. you know, that we found a couple Democrats who are critical of him. These aren't the times for the norm, and the Trump years weren't the time for the norm, Uh, and and we're not seeing...
0: Well, uh, my plan, Eric Bowler, to ask you about some of your recent Press Run stuff, uh, oh well, I'm going to have to save that for Next another the day, because this was an interesting <laughs> conversation. I will point, folks, of course, to PressRun.media, uh, some very interesting coverage uh, about ABC News, Good Morning America, and how they screwed up, uh, unbelievably screwed up a COVID-related story and have apparently failed to apologize for it since, even while uh, Fox News is Having a heyday, well, I guess trying to kill its own viewers. But you know, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, uh, Mister Just Murlock. another week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Eric Bullard, find his work. As I said, sign up for his newsletter, PressRun.media. dot Media. Find him on the Twitters at Eric Bullard. My friend, always appreciates joining us. We will be bothering you again soon. You have been warned. Oh, anytime. Talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. All right, quick break, and we are back uh, Oh, with another media-related story. In fact, a Fox News-related story.
3: <laughs> oh, goody.
0: That I think you will enjoy, as it also uh, regards the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. What does the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and Fox News have to do with each other? Well, we'll find out next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs>
2: Well, they learned about Santa a long time ago. Little bunnies at Easter and pink unicorns. Tiny tooth fairies have lost their appeal. But they still think Fox News is real. My parents think Fox News is real Welcome back to the Bradcast. To explain, but they just won't Brad
0: Friedman from bradblog.com. An oldie but goodie there. My parents thinks Fox News is real. Been a while since we played that one. <laughs> yes. All right. One quick item here uh, that is kind of fun. This comes from our friend Mike Lanahan. Does he do Remember oh, Mike? Yes. Uh, he uh, uh, writes on Twitter. He's uh, uh, What movie was he in recently? He uh, was.
3: Uh, he's an actor here in yeah, Los Angeles. Right. And he was in the movie Ford vs. Ferrari with Matt Damon.
0: Excellent movie. Yes. And uh, and he was excellent. It was uh, a while ago. We'd known him for a long time. In any case, I, I now follow him on Twitter. And I want to give him credit because he retweeted this from Dave Taylor, who is apparently a Lincoln assassination and Booth family researcher. He's a historian. He tweeted, so I was approached, he, uh, Dave Taylor tweets, by Fox Nation. That's Fox News's streaming service for those who just can't get enough from the 24-hour cable propaganda station, I guess. Uh, I was approached by Fox Nation to appear on a program exploring the, quote, theory that John Surratt was the one who actually killed Lincoln and not John Wilkes Booth. Huh. Here's the invitation and the reply I sent back writes Dave Taylor and he includes uh, both the uh, the actual invitation and his response. So, first, Fox Nation interview request. Hi, Dave. I'm contacting you from Fox News' streaming service called Fox Nation. We are putting together a piece about the death of President Lincoln. We are discussing the theory of John Surratt being the killer of the former president. We are looking for someone to speak about John Surratt's possible involvement. I'm contacting you to see if you would be opened... opened to sitting down with us for an on-camera interview. I'm happy to speak on the phone and further explain the project. Please let me know if you have any questions. I look forward to hearing from you. Best regards. Uh, and the name of the producer there from Fox News Network is, uh, is crossed out. So that was the invite. And then uh, Lincoln historian, assassination, and, and Booth family researcher Dave Taylor writes back, Thank you for your email. While I've heard quite a few ridiculous Lincoln assassination imaginings before the idea that any person other than John Wilkes Booth was the man who pulled the trigger on April 14, 1865, has got to be one of the most ludicrous theories I've ever heard. And that's saying something because there's another conspiracy theory out there that claims Booth escaped his death and got turned into a mummy. John Wilkes Booth, one of the most popular actors of his day, very publicly assassinated Lincoln at Ford's Theater in front of an audience who instantly recognized him. Booth purposely walked to center stage after the shot so that everyone could see him and know what he had done. For the next 12 days, while Booth was on the run, he bragged openly about his crime and even wrote a manifesto trying to justify it. While reasonable people can disagree about many of the details regarding the assassination of Lincoln, there is absolutely no doubt as to the perpetrator. So Fox News is going back, and not only are they lying about the present and what's going on, they're going back 100 years to lie about history as well any way they can.
3: Trying to cast doubt anywhere and everywhere, Dave, I guess. Dave
0: Taylor goes on to say, uh, "I uh, there's no doubt about who is the perpetrator. I know that you are just doing your job and will likely go through with the segment. But I hope that for your own education, you know how completely wrong the proponent of this theory is, whoever they are. He then completes it this way. As for going on Fox Nation for an on-camera interview about this, that would be a hard no. Your network is based entirely around fear-mongering, xenophobia, and the denigration of facts, science, history, morality, and compassion. Even though I am a nobody in the field of the Lincoln assassination, with no books or major scholarship to my name, I know better than to go on a Fox News program and accidentally give any sort of legitimacy to the crazy conspiracy theories, historical or otherwise, that your network espouses on a daily basis. Fox News is actively contributing to the destruction of democracy. I wish you luck in your endeavors and hope you are able to escape Fox before it devours your soul as it has done to millions of others. All the best. Dave Taylor. Wow. Way to go, Dave Taylor. Well said. Good job. Now, mind you, I've gone on Fox News before, but now maybe if they ask me again, I'll 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 pull up Dave Taylor's letter. Well done, Dave Taylor. Thank you. Uh, thanks also to our producer, Desi Doyen, and thanks to my guest today, Eric Bullert of Press Run, pressrun.media. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who support our efforts by stopping by bradblog.com donate as we head into our 19th year. What of the Brad blog? More on that very soon. Uh, bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad
2: Friedman. Good luck, world. My parents think Fox News is real. I tried to explain, but they just won't sit still. All that jumping and shouting has put them off keel. And my parents think Fox News is real. Well now God knows I love them and I always will But my parents think Fox News is real